Do you feel like you're barely keeping your head above water? That no matter how hard you try, meaningful progress remains out of reach? Heather gets that. She battled an eating disorder for years before seeking help. Now in recovery, Heather is here to tell you that positive change is possible even when it doesn't feel that way. Join her as she shares openly about her struggles and small triumphs. Fair warning, though. Heather doesn't hold back. Her candid story may trigger some. But for those wanting honesty, hope, and healing, this is 1% Better with Heather. The information and stories shared on 1% Better are based on host Heather's personal experiences with eating disorders and mental health challenges. Heather is not a licensed doctor, therapist, dietitian, or other health professional. Her advice and opinions should not be taken as professional medical advice. Please consult your physician or a qualified health provider regarding any medical or health-related issues. 1% Better also contains descriptions of eating disorders that may be triggering for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hey there, my little gaffers, and welcome to 1% Better with Heather. Today, I have a special guest, Ed Warrior Mom, as she's known on TikTok. For the next couple episodes, Ed Warrior Mom will share how she got pulled into this eating disorder health. No questions off limits. She will speak about her daughter and their experience with the eating disorder recovery system, how this disease affected her family. She will also be discussing her faith in a higher power and how that helped her get through this eating disorder hell. It takes a brave person to come onto a worldwide podcast and air your dirty laundry, so to speak. I applaud her for this. Now, without any further ado, here is Ed Boyer, mom. Hey there, my little gaffers, and welcome to 1% Better with Heather. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Edie Warrior Mom, as she's known all over social media. She is here to talk about her daughter's experience in the Edie land. They're what, like just real raw and honest, like I always say it, right? And I'll say it again, it takes a very brave person to come on to a worldwide podcast and air your dirty laundry. So thank you very much for being here, Edie Warrior Mom. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this important topic. And I'm just so blessed by this podcast personally. So it's an honor to, to be on it as a guest. Well, and it's, and we both feel the same way, that knowledge is power, right? And now diving into it, Hindsight's 2020. We all, you know, learn from things. It's hard though, and I will say this, learning in in the hurricane, right? When you get catapulted out, it's a lot easier to see things for what they are, but it's hard to make decisions while emotions are involved as well. It's very hard to tap like take a step back and really look at it when at depending on where your child is, this is like huge medical things, a matter, and it can be a matter of life and death, right? So it's very stressful, very stressful situation. But looking back, what what are your takeaways? What if not that you want to redo it, but if you could mm -hmm. give like 
a couple bullet points to parents going through this, what what would be your your top 10, so to speak? Yeah, so um, I love to talk about the things that we did right, but there's an equal number of things that we've had to learn over time and change our approach um, as we've learned more. You know, there's the saying, it's when you know better, do better. And I strongly believe that there's a whole lot of learning that has to happen when you're thrown into this mix of what is an eating disorder? Why does my child have this happening to them? And why are all of these things contributing to her quality of life, what's happening in our home? And it can be extremely overwhelming. And I would say at times feeling hopeless and helpless makes you just grasp for what can I possibly do to fix the situation or to um, counteract what I know she's doing to herself um, as things are progressively getting worse. And so I always hesitate to talk about this because it does not paint me in a good light. But again, you know better, you do better. And I was just trying to do right by our situation at the time. Um, but it is kind of hard to think back on now that we've learned so much and I would never <laughs> do these things now. But the number one thing that I did while um, our daughter was really, really restricting and struggling is uh, I replaced food and added to her portion sizes. Um, you know, she would make like a little overnight oats thing and put it in the refrigerator. And I would get up, I would get up after she was in bed and add a teaspoon, a couple teaspoons more into the container. Um, was that going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. But it made me feel like I had some control over what was happening because it was really, you know, you talk about counting calories as a parent. I counted calories. I, I would all day long. I was like, okay, well, this is what I saw her ate this morning. And that's barely anything. She's probably not going to eat anything for lunch. And she has soccer practice. And then, you know, if she, it was, it was all consuming. And so I was doing what I could with what I knew. Um, the other thing, which we, I don't want to say affectionately refer to because there's probably no affection involved, but we can laugh about it a little bit now. Um, we refer to in our houses as, as tortilla gate. And that was that one of the most irritating things to um, me was her use of the no carb or low carb tortillas. Um, it just, I just, hated it um, more than anything else. And I don't really know why, but I learned that maybe if I went to the store and bought the highest calorie tortillas that I could find and replace them, then she would be getting a normal calorie tortilla in her daily intake. And I, if, if anybody wants to know where all my money has gone, it has gone to tortillas because not only was I was I buying the tortillas that she wanted, I was then buying the replacement tortillas and throwing away 
the original ones every single week. And she, I mean, she asked me probably 10 times, are you doing something with my tortillas? No, I know nothing about what you are referencing. And eventually, you know, it all came out in the wash and we, you know, had a very um, healthy conversation about my perspective and her perspective. I knew it was wrong. I'm not ever going to say it's right at the same time. Just that feeling of, I don't know what to do. And she's not getting enough to sustain life like this. This has to, this has to change. And so, um, you know, I was just trying to buy time till we couldn't figure out what to do next. And um, so anyway, that's, that's the number one piece of bad behavior that I would not recommend parents do when their child is struggling with an eating disorder. I am having a panic attack just when you're talking about this. I'd be like, oh my, you're taking your life in your hands. Like, holy Hannah. Like, I understand as a parent the desperation. And I come from, and I've talked about it, my son was a sick child. He was born with one kidney, a multicystic kidney. And my stepdaughter had leukemia. I know sick kids. And I know the desperation. I understand that. However, man, you're really taking your life in your hands. Like, if... yeah. Like, like flip, like that could have like been Chernobyl. Well, and it was really, I mean, when we, when we, um, she, she knew we were not admitting that she was not, we, we were not coming clean about that it was happening, but she knew. And what, all it did was made her suspicious of anything that I gave her, right? Like, why would it just be a tortilla? Why would it not be every single thing in my life she's lying to me about or trying to, you know, give me more of? And so it really it didn't even do what I expected it to do. So, again, why it's on the list of please don't please don't do that, even when you think it's your only option. The second thing that I would say is um, anger and fear tactics. Again, when you're feeling like you don't have options and you're so scared, you're so scared, you're looking at your child and it, it feels like we're not gonna make it out of this alive, honestly. Like it's just gonna keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, you are desperate and you again, try to grasp at a lot of things to get them to understand that they have to, make some changes or else, right? There is a whole lot of or else conversation that goes through a parent's brain at least, and probably a whole lot of other people's brains. And, you know, so I said some harsh things, you know, to her over time, like, you know, you're, you're going to die if this doesn't, this doesn't stop, or you're going to never be able to play soccer again, or, all of those things that, you know, it's not like she's not thinking about those things, right? She, she doesn't think that all's right in her world. And it just reinforces for her that there are no other options, I think. Um, and again, just not productive as a part of the conversation. And I think a lot of parents probably fall into that particular 
trap because you're looking for what's the motivation? What's the right words I can say to snap her out of whatever this is that's got a hold on her and is not letting go? There's nothing you can say. There's absolutely nothing. And the word control, you said it. <laughs> that's it. Nobody, you, you can't, again, negotiate with a terrorist. The, the inmates run in the prison. And I understand as a parent, I could take myself out of the eating disorder. As a parent, if this was my child, holy Hannah, shit would be hitting the fan around here. Let me tell you, I would not ever like, and I can say that because I know who I am. And yet I'm doing it to myself. I know it's so like silly, but there's also this thing of while you're in this eating disorder, and I can only speak for myself, for me, it's like you're invincible. No, that's not going to happen to me. You could tell all Karen Carpenter, Teresa Gold, whoever, those are only two that I know. And uh, with anorexia, you can talk about it all you want. That's them, not me. And you do get some mm -hmm. weird, like I'm invincible. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. That is true. That is true. Now that you say that there is kind of this common phrase uh, within sort of the eating disorder, re disorder cover recovery community that's I'm not the exception, right? Because you can start to feel like um, I can do this better than anybody else has ever been able to do this. And I can manage my life in this place of sickness better than anybody else has ever been able to do it. And so when you realize I'm not the exception, that's when you can start to build up from there. And then, yeah. And just so everyone knows, no one's special. No one, <laughs> no, you're not smarter. None than of us smart. are. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not right. And I know I sound like a jerk, but you're not, you're not special. This comes with, and I'm a walking poster child of repercussions that come from this and not, I know, and, and I know why they don't talk about it a lot, about people who have succumbed to this. I get it. Because no one says they died of anorexia. They always die of a heart attack. They always mm -hmm. die of their kidneys failing. They always, it's mainly heart attack, stroke. So that's what goes on a death certificate. It's never anorexia. And mm -hmm. to a point, I wish they would say this. Yeah, that's right. too complications right it is it's really hard to kind of think about in your brain that we're not special in this regard um and that is one thing that i learned i talked in our very first episode we did together about the typology for anorexia and a part of that going deeper is just you know how very um generic the behaviors are like you go into this world thinking you're the only one that does X, Y, or Z. And then you learn that like everybody there doing the same, the same thing. Nobody's special. Nobody's the exception to the rule. We're all struggling a little bit differently, but a whole lot the same. And I think that that can be helpful. It also can be damaging depending upon how you, how you look at it. 
The other thing that I have really learned not to do, but I'm being honest today and saying it has been a part of our conversation in the past is commenting on her appearance and um, not you look pretty today. Not that, um, you know, when things were really getting dark and bad and again, you don't know what to do or say that's going to shake them into understanding. You know, I, I said, you look bad. You look bad. And um, again, I talked earlier, like there is no winning that argument about what her appearance means to the eating disorder. Um, all it did was make me feel like I said something that I'd been, you know, fighting against saying, right? Didn't mean anything. It didn't do anything helpful. But the flip side of that, and I didn't realize that this was a mistake either. Um, again, we talked about the whole you look healthy um, comment, and that can go really, really bad way for someone suffering from an eating disorder. But at one point when she was um, doing some right things and we were confident that she was or hopeful that she was on the path to getting better and she was eating more and she had, you know, her daily goals that she was putting into place and like all systems seemed go. And I remember distinctly because we were on um, a vacation at the time and I looked at her and I said, you know, I think you're really getting your booty back. And uh -oh. she didn't, she didn't say anything in the moment. That's the thing. Like it would have been one thing if she said, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. Let me tell you like what that does to me or she didn't. I mean, she said, you think? And I was like, yeah, I do. Um, now looking back, on I can that, hear I the voice in her head right now. I can hear it. Back on that, I, I wonder what happened then, right? And so it is a hard thing now to be in this place of we don't ever comment on people's bodies um, and thinking through what you can say and what you can't say. And, um, you know, I think we tend to just focus on people's um the way they're communicating with each other, their accomplishments, the way they handled situations that we're proud of. I mean, I will say you look really pretty or I like how your hair, you did your hair or that that outfit is just like the color really suits you or, you know, whatever. I, I'll say those things, but to be very careful not to venture into kind of that <laughs> that area. So I know you you reacted because you've probably been in that situation before, just how powerful language can be, even when it's really, really unintentional. Well, and I can't speak forever. I can only speak what goes on up in my crazy head. But like when someone would say to me, oh, you're like, you look sick, like you're skinny. And normal people... <laughs> are like, oh my, like, that's like not a compliment to an eating disorder person. I'm like, yeah, you're just mad because you don't look like me, right? You're just mad because you can't put down the donut. I said mean things, man. You wanted to come up with some mean things? I, get, I said them all. And I like, get bent, right? Like, that's what come out of my, like, you're just mad. You don't have the, um, 
the drive I have. You don't have the, mm -hmm. you know, all that. Like, why can't I think the, like, I'm determined. Self-discipline. That's it. Self-discipline. Yep. Yep. I remember her telling me um, about going to a college soccer game, not one she was playing in, but where some of her like high school friends would be. And this was when she was really not doing well. And we were considering early talks of, you know, taking um, advantage of treatment a second time. And I knew she was going to go see all those kids and their parents. And I was just, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even think about it in my brain. And later she said, yeah, I mean, I knew I looked bad. I knew that I was going to go. And so I watched, I waited for people to look at me. And I mean, I felt happy. I felt accomplished that they were noticing all my hard work. And that's just so hard to reconcile um, in your own brain that, that your rational, intelligent um, child can think like that and be so affected by this voice and what they're what they're going through at any given time. And you know, my last thing that I was thinking about that I did wrong. I'm sure there's lots of other things that I didn't think about, but the last thing um, I'll talk about is similarly to my story about Tortilla Gate and how it made her skeptical that anything I said was true. It was really hard for me to believe anything out of her mouth. Um, during times of struggle, there is so much lying and there's so much covering tracks and um, just protecting the eating disorder that happens. And, you know, it's hard not to blame them for that until you really do try to separate your child from their affliction. But it really does make it hard. And even to this day, I occasionally, I, my brain will say, well, I wonder if that's true, right? When she says anything about what she did, what she didn't do, what she ate, what, you know, whatever. Um, and I think for a while I vocalized those things, you know, she would say something and I would say, well, I don't think that you actually did that. So let's talk about what you did do. And, um, it was really hard because maybe seven times out of 10, I was right. <laughs> she probably didn't do it but it was very pervasive and very hard on our relationship to live in that dynamic of she's the perpetrator of lies and I'm the one that's going to catch her in those lies. And, um, you know, eventually I had to back away from that and again, realize it wasn't really productive, right? Like there's a, there's a line between accountability and maybe suspicion. I don't know what the right, word is and i never quite knew where to hang my hat um and certainly it got a lot easier over time as i was fortunate that i had a kid that um would would a lot of times say what she did <laughs> she would uh, a lot of times be very open and honest and in moments and so it gave me confidence over time that you know we could rebuild and get to a place of trust 
at some point, me on the side of not replacing food and her on the side of being honest about where she is, how she's feeling, what behavior she's engaging in and those kinds of things. But it was really, really tough, really tough. Well, I'm glad you guys eventually came together because it is like it, it is tip for tat. If you're going to lie to me and replace my tortillas, then I'm going to say that I ate five of them. Like bite me. Right. Like, so you really have to. I'm I'm so thankful that you're being very open with all this and we can like joke about it and whatever. But it this is true. Like I remember recovery mom saying the dietitian's the dietitian the psychologist, the psychologist, you take yourself out of it. Even though it hurts, this is not how we parent. We don't give our children to other people to parent them, but this is what has to be done at this moment. And that's like the best gift you could give them. Yeah, I think being their mom and being the safe place for them, um, the encourager. I mean, it's almost like what you hear about kids in sports, right? Like let the coach be the coach and it's not doing any good for you in the in the stands to be yelling what they should do and why they're terrible at what they are doing and you know those kinds of things. Um, but I'm saying it's it's a very tough place to be. I will say to any parent, you're not going to do this perfectly. Don't expect to do it perfectly, but learn as you go. Right. The only the only Failure is if you don't get up and try again, right? And I think to a lot of parents' credit, getting up again, trying again, fighting a different way, um, learning to talk differently to and with your child, uh, finding a different therapist if the first one's not working, um, finding different treatment options, all of those things are um, at your disposal, but you do have to be humble and honest with yourself about what your child needs and what you're able to give them versus what you can't give them in the process. Yeah. And it, it very much is, and I always use the hurricane, it is living in a hurricane. You don't know what's coming at you. Something could be all right. And in a blink of an eye, it's gone. <laughs> like it's gone. You don't even know what happened. Right. But it is just being that person like, okay, that's okay. Like stuff happens. We're just going to keep moving forward. Right. And that's all you can do. If they're showing up every day and they're willing to try to move forward, it might, it'll never be on your timeline just so everyone knows. Like, mm -hmm. so get a timeline out of your head. Like, it's just not going to happen. But little steps add up they do they do and just being continuing to show up day after day um is the only thing that we can do and finding the things that keep us grounded and steady and focused on the right things is really really important so um self-care you know everybody will say it you have to put your own mask on first before you can take care of your children. And most of us don't do that. And it contributes to the frustration and the desperation acts 
<laughs> that we do um, because we're just so exhausted. So, you know, uh, an overarching piece of advice is even when you think that you can't, even when you think you don't have the time or you can't step away because your child needs you in so, such significant ways, you have to take care of yourself in some way. And that'll look different from one person to the next, but it is really, really, really important. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because, and if you don't, if you're okay with going into some things like mm -hmm. this terrorist is a divide and conquer one, right? So I'm an adult. I'm, I'm, I am not really in this, but for a parent with a child with an eating disorder, the divide and conquer, they're going to peg one parent against another whoever they can get on their team they want and they don't care who it is and they don't care that they're blowing up your life because when they don't think that they are blowing up your life i don't think mm -hmm. that anyone goes in this with like haha i'm gonna get my parents divorced nothing along those lines <laughs> but that's ultimately what can happen like and i talked about having sick kids we've seen it in the hospital where you know you're you're depleted you you got a kid with that not eating, their brain doesn't work. You're not sleeping. Your brain ain't working either, right? You're in desperation mode. They're in a different desperation mode. And it's a Chernobyl coming, right? And we've seen parents get divorced with, with sick kids, you know, because it's just, it's it's too much. How How did you and your husband stay together through all this and take time yeah. for yourself. Yeah. I think that we have learned just like everything I've talked about. It's been an ongoing learning process. And at first I think we were a really united front and I was proud of us for doing that well. And then as she got sicker, I think it became harder um, because just our natural personalities, I became more catastrophe focused and I got to run around like a chicken with my head cut off to do this, that, or the other, because it's my responsibility as a mother. And he got more, um, much like his personality, like factual and, um, steady and education focused. Like, you know, he would, he's a nurse. And so I think that was really where he went with her, which is let's talk about what's happening to your electrolytes. <laughs> do you need fluids? Like I can do that. I can, I can make sure that happens. Of course she would never want that, but um, you know, your heart can only take so much and this is what I see and all of these things. And um of course, I'm over here like, she's not, she doesn't care about any of that. We've got to do X, Y, or Z. So we just became a little bit like my way is the right way. And that was really hard on us. Um, I think you, anytime something happens, it's hard to grieve together. You grieve very separately. And I found myself into in that, that position where I was very tied to her and her needs as the number one priority in my life and everybody else was kind of secondary. So 
in retrospect, I don't like that we were separate in our thinking like that. I think we still tried to maintain, like we always talked about things. I never withheld information from him. He never withheld information from me. We would debrief, you know, every night he was at the hospital and be like, how's tonight? Anything happened that I need to know about? We, we stayed in communication about it, but emotionally we were very separate about how we were handling things. And then that was exacerbated by the fact that I had to move away from our family and we made that decision together. It was the best decision based on the flexibility of my job in, you know, in that situation, um, temperament, like, I, you know, I, I am the one that needed to be there for her. We both agreed on that, but it did put me in a hard situation um, because it just further solidified like it's me and her. And so that has been, I think, the hardest challenge for us is reminding each other it's actually me and him. Like we are the team. We're the team that created this family and it's not always easy. And I find us still kind of sometimes in that push and pull, but we have to remind each other what our roles are. And we do have very specific roles in our family, but also our responsibility to each other is important. And um, that's tough. It is, it is an, even, even today when I would say we're all doing relatively well. We also are in a new stage of life, separate and distinct from an eating disorder. She's a young adult living in our home and that carries with it. I'm an adult. I get to do what I want kind of conversations and where are our boundaries and, you know, what level of accountability is okay now um, based on the fact that she is at home um, but also helping her learn to spread her wings and become a productive adult. Like all of those conversations are really no different for us. They aren't life or death. I'm thankful that we're not having those conversations anymore, but they're still tough. So, um, you know, I think we uh, navigate through the best we can, but I would just tell parents, be prepared for it and be proactive about it. Um, know that you're going to have the divide and conquer kind of scenario. And whether that's a, you know, every Friday night date night, or if it's, you know, here's, here's our time together in the house where we don't let any kids around, we send them to grandma's house, or it's, this is where our boundaries are with our behavior. Like you can do this, but when she asks for this, it's too much and we need to say no. Um, all of those conversations are a lot easier to have on the front end than they are to have in the moment when things feel like they're a crisis. And I love therapy. <laughs> and I say, if your child has an eating disorder and they're in therapy, so are you. You, I, I, I don't, and I understand there because money and it's expensive, mm -hmm. but you just as your child is not 
special where they're not going to succumb to this in some way, you're not special with how you're not going to succumb to this in some way. If everyone's in therapy, you don't have to go as a group or as a family, but everyone needs someone to talk to and how to navigate through this. I agree. I mean, there's just so much that we um, keep inside until it has nowhere else to go. And then, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you're just really, really surprised by your own behavior or the behavior of your spouse, just like you don't want to be surprised by your child. And so it does take um, every day work to keep everybody feeling healthy and heard and seen and loved and appreciated the way that they, you know, need to feel that. Yeah, well, I... I can't thank you enough for coming on here and just letting it out. Like, I don't think you look like, I, I think this is life. I think if you went into anyone's house with someone with an eating disorder, your story is actually pretty tame. <laughs> like, well... not, not to, like, not, like, not to downplay your story, right? But, like, dude, like, so, but it just, again, power, power and knowledge. Knowledge is power. And this this ha like there's no one anywhere on the planet going through something along this lines that it's not domino affecting everybody right so it's not just for sure you, right so for sure and i'm we're lucky we're lucky that we had have the resources to help her manage her disorder we're lucky we have the foundation that we had we're lucky that we have extended family who jumped in at every turn to help with anything that we needed. And, you know, we're lucky that we have, you know, what we think is important to be grounded in, which is our faith. And I've talked about that on another episode, but it is, it is easy to feel lost and aimless and everybody has to have their anchor or their anchors in life or, or you won't, you won't survive it. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for being so open and honest and you're very brave. You're very thank brave. Thank you. Thank you. So, can you tell everybody again where they can find you on social media? Sure. Um, on TikTok, I'm Wendy with a K with uh, dots in between each word or letter. And then the label is ED Warrior Mom, where I talk all about our story, our journey, what we've learned and try to be a little funny in the process occasionally. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about tortillas for, for a while now. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode of 1% Better. To continue the conversation, head over to our website at www.1percentbetter.ca, where you can access more stories and resources. We'd also love it if you subscribed and left us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, friends, progress takes patience, perspective, and sometimes a little help from people who get it. So be kind to yourself and others as we work to get 1% better every day. We'll see you back here next week.